Now, this is Box to Box with Michael Edgley and Willem van Denderen. Oh, what a goal! The Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. Absolutely fantastic! Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football. You're with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley to run the rule over the past week in the world game. First edition news and all the latest on Socceroos and Matildas with Willem van Denderen shortly. And of course, our former ITN journo turned pundit Derek Dyson will be joining us throughout the show. Now that we're a little over a week into the new year and the post-mortems on Argentina's World Cup victory in Qatar have been consigned to football history, it's time to turn our long-promised attention to the women's equivalent, which, as we record, is just over six months away. On July 20 in New Zealand, Eden Park will host the tournament opener with the football ferns taking on Norway. And later that day, the Matildas will open the tournament in Australia against the Republic of Ireland. Every week from here on, we'll count down to the tournament as the excitement builds, starting this week with one of our most experienced big event journos, just back from Qatar herself, Tracy Holmes from the ABC. Now, after Tracy, it will be time to turn the spotlight onto the Premier League, currently taking a week's break as the FA and League Cups take centre stage. And I'll concede that I'd fully expected over the last couple of weeks as I took a summer break that the pod would turn into a gunner fest in my absence, but I'm sensing a little anxiety from my Guna offsiders, not wanting to jinx their side by going off too early. Now, as I sense that, they're trying to keep the lid on. This week, we're going to rip the Band-Aid off and talk to James McNicholas from The Athletic because I get a feeling that there is a big, big story emerging here and we want to be onto it as early as possible, regardless of what the boys think about hexing their own side. And we will, of course, wrap it up, as we will over the next seven months or so with Women's World Cup Corner. Edge, it's good to be back. I've had a nice little break. Enjoyed listening to the show while I was away. You guys did a great job. I loved the Pelé tributes last week. Hi, Rob. Good to have you back in the host seat again. And I hope you had a wonderful time uh, on your summer break with your family. But um, yes, uh, Palais passing is a momentous occasion for the sport, so we had to uh, do that. And um, yeah, I enjoyed the Palais discussion. But uh, what about you? Um, what did you get up to on your holidays, Rob? Well, one of the things was listening to the podcast, and I noticed Willem did mention that I did get the chance to meet the great man back in 2014. Lovely, lovely uh, memories of uh, of uh, the uh, the iconic. Uh, uh, man that uh, that he was and and the special moment that that uh, I, I got to, to share with him but uh, headed up to Canberra with the family enjoyed some time there beautiful weather in the nation's capital got to see the family and just spent some time chilling out and relaxing and I can tell you uh, watching a lot of football I know um, that uh, when the World Cup finished my wife Sandra said um, that uh, she might have a little bit of a break uh, from watching me walk around the house with the earpods in but nothing's changed I've been watching just as much FA Cup action over the weekend and uh, really, really loving it um, in, the, in the last couple of weeks. But what about you, Derek? Um, am I going a little too hard to suggest that, um, that you guys are trying to keep the, uh, the, the dampener on the, on the Arsenal story? Um, I, I noticed there was a little gift that you sent on, uh, on the WhatsApp chat, uh, fingers in your ears, don't mention it just yet, too soon. Yeah, just a little bit of fun, I suppose, Rob, but... We're not even halfway through the season yet. We've still got to play Manchester City twice and we've got some pretty big games coming up, none bigger than the North London derby uh, coming up this weekend. So uh, Edge and I would have taken this at the start of the season. We would have been in oh, dreamland. But, but uh, there is still an awful, an awful long way to go. It will be fantastic to hear 
or Jamesman Nicholas thinks he's closer to it than we are, uh, he'll definitely give us the the lowdown on where he thinks it'll all end up. He sure will, mate. I mean, I can even sense in your voice you're still keeping that lid on it, but uh, we'll have some fun with James when he gets on. Well, Willem, plenty of other news. We've already sort of referred to the Cup weekend. What, what an amazing weekend of Cup football. Plenty of action domestically. Get us, uh, get us going, mate. Yeah, we'll jump in with the FA Cup results, Rob. And when you play 32 games, you're always going to get a couple of crackers, but there will uh, still a couple that will live on throughout the years. Wrexham and Stevenage at the head of the list. Non-league side, Wrexham beat Championship Club Coventry 4-3, while League 2 Stevenage scored twice in the dying moments to overhaul the Villa 2-1. Elsewhere, Graham Potter's struggle as Chelsea boss continues. They got humbled 4-0 by Manchester City. I'll ask Derek about Graham in just a moment, but for now... Edge, Stephen Edge, uh, <laughs> goals in the 88th and the 91st against a proper top flight football club in the Villa. Yeah, Aston Villa fans, and there's plenty of them floating around Australia and the rest of the world. Uh, they will be thinking, oh my God, what happened there? They most certainly will be. Derek Graham Potter uh, out of the FA Cup. Chelsea have won just one of their last eight league matches. They sit eighth. Uh, they certainly look a long way from doing anything this season. And we know that the old ownership certainly uh, would have had the uh, fingers on the trigger by now. New ownership under Todd Bowley. This is his man, uh, but it's not playing out well to this point. No, it hasn't had a strong start really in any of the competitions for Chelsea so far. He has had some injuries and availability to contend with, but Chelsea is a big squad and there's plenty of quality there. Um, I do wonder... Because Graham Potter is Graham Potter, he's, you know, from Birmingham and he's not necessarily a celebrated household name. I do wonder if the fans are likely to turn on him a bit quicker rather than a international pedigree um, manager and might be given um, more time. And apparently the fans were calling for Thomas Tuchel uh, at the game uh, at, the, uh, at, the, at the weekend. I, I think if Todd Bowley is committed to a project and they think they've got the best man for the job, they need to stick with him. But I don't know what you think, Edge. Well, I just think some players, uh, sorry, some coaches are suited to smaller clubs. They have that sort of in-the-bunker mentality uh, and they can get a group of um, not such superstars in a squad uh, hum in and uh, get some eke out some results and do very well and and when they transfer to big clubs with big names and big players it doesn't work out as well and I think Todd Bowley absolutely pulled the trigger too quickly on Tuchel and needed to really settle in and understand the culture of the club first I don't know what there could have been gained by uh, pulling the trigger on Tuchel when he did, when he took over. It's a real strange one for me. And, um, yeah, the pressure's on the owner on this on this occasion because, as you mentioned, Derek, uh, Potter was Tuchel's man. You can't deny that. So the um, the responsibility for this uh, well and truly rests at the owner's foot, feet, no doubt about it. And I wonder uh, how he'd be feeling watching Roberto Zerbi just pick up uh, the uh, the baton and and run with it um, at Brighton the way that they're going right now. And 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 I'll just ask the you know the guy you guys the question: um, Does it look good, or or does it reflect um, poorly on on Potter's legacy that that Zerbi was able to come in and 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 um, and they've they've 
gone from strength to strength. That uh, was it, is it more of a reflection of the squad at Brighton um, than um, and and what's going on down there within the entire administration of the club, um, and perhaps takes a little of the gloss off Potter the fact that Zerbi's been able to pick up and and run with it. I know it's it's an odd uh, way of framing it, but uh, uh, sometimes these things. Uh, uh, can uh, can come back to haunt you. You must uh, really be looking at, um, at at what's going on uh, uh, down at Brighton and uh, and when in the you know his deepest darkest moments uh, when he can't get any sleep, wondering what he's going to do with Chelsea. Did he make the right decision? I think it's a fair assessment, Rob. I think um, it's probably for me. It's probably a, a a good reflection on Potter's legacy that the squad's continuing to go well and um, yeah, Brighton. Uh, Doing very well. Big shout out to my mate Martin Denyer, who's a big Brighton fan. He keeps sending me messages. Back to you, Willem. Some real concern as well out of the FA Cup. We'll touch on this one quickly because it's got a bit to play out. But England's Football Association are going to investigate uh, reports of overcrowding in the stands between Newcastle and Sheffield Wednesday. This game was at Hillsborough. Uh, it was the infamous, unfortunate, Leppings Lane end where Newcastle supporters, 4,500 of them, were uh, were sitting and standing. Uh, they complained of lack of stewarding and overcrowding. We don't really need a reminder uh, of the history at that uh, very spot. So uh, the FA are going to speak with both clubs and police, and I'm sure more will come to light in the next little bit. Sad news this week. Tributes have flown in uh, following the passing of Italian icon Gianluca Vialli. Uh, he's passed age 58 after a battle with pancreatic cancer. He began his career with Cremonese in 1980 before moving to Sampdoria. He formed the Gold Twins partnership with Roberto Mancini and won the club's first Serie A title in 1990-91. He moved to Juventus, had some success there, and then became much loved at Chelsea, where he became manager post-retirement. And Derek, he had a long history as well with the Italian national team. He scored 16 in 59. That career might have gone a little bit longer, but for a bit of a bust-up. But uh, right until his final days, he was their delegation chief. This one actually really got to me, Willem, and, and it caught me a little bit by surprise. We've had a, we've lost a number of people, just generally uh, famous people, not just in sport, but just generally over Christmas. But when I read this one, when this came up in my news feed, I just thought, oh, I, I just I ended up feeling really sad. And this isn't an Arsenal player. In fact, it's a player that Arsenal had to go head-to-head with a number of times. So I didn't, you know, on the surface, have any great affinity for him. But what I realised on reflection was that he was just a fabulous football player. He came to England while he still had quite a lot left to give. And he was a very unique striker. He was powerful. He was, um, you know, great trickery. Uh, he was a captain. There were so many, so many different things that he brought to the game. Always had a smile on his face. And like for a Chelsea man, I actually really liked him. And yeah, I was really sad to 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 see that see the news last week uh, gone too soon at fifty eight. And we will talk a little bit more about Viali uh, in stoppage time for those that will tune in for that one later in the week. And Rob, some lovely and now poignant footage emerging of the Gold Twins hugging uh, as Italy won the Euro 2020 final. Mancini uh, and Viali, a long association between the two of them there. And then, yeah, sharing that, uh, well, it's a, it's a very important moment in Italian football history. Yeah, it sure was. And uh, speaking to some of uh, my uh, my in-laws and, and friends and family um, in the past week, the, the football fans amongst us, and, uh, you know, you boys know that uh, we spent a lot of time down at Ligon Street during those Euros and... Uh, um, and and yeah, that that emotion that that you described, Derek, is um, is a commonplace a thread. That uh, he was a player that, as you said, Willem, um, didn't quite fulfil the 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 um, 
ability that he had with the national side as a player. He uh, he played in three World Cups, but uh, um, but fell out um, with management at different times and uh, and probably retired from the Azzurri shirt uh, sooner than he could have. But uh, but yeah, we will talk a bit more about uh, Gianluca Vialli. So if you um, if you're looking at your podcast feeds when you see stoppage time drop in a little uh, in a few days uh, time, then uh, yeah, we'll reflect a little bit more on his great legacy. Back home, Melbourne victory has slipped to second bottom on the A-League table after a 1-0 loss to Brisbane Raw, compounded by the news that Nani will miss the rest of the season with a torn ACL. Victory's first home clash post-interim sanctions drew just 4,300 on Friday night, with only non-active members allowed through the gates. On Friday, Football Australia issued a further seven bans following the pitch invasion on December 17. An important piece written, Rob, by our good mate Guido Trizoldi, who dug into Mm. 777 Partners, which now look like a very important player in the future of the club. And we're going to leave that one for stoppage time because, again, that one deserves Mm. a Mm. good long chat. But for now, if the... It's been a very sudden and very sort of graphic demise of Melbourne victory. If it ever needed a visual representation, it was uh, the ghost town at Amy Park on Friday. Yeah, it wasn't just the ghost town of the lack of fans. It was the it was the black um, tarpaulins that that were covering the active areas uh, to to leave no room for doubt that um, that this was um, a sanction that was uh, was as much visual as it was uh, uh, keeping out the the uh, the, the so called fans themselves. So uh, there's a long long way back coming for for victory. And Tony Popovich must be just wondering, you know, what he's in the middle of right now. He uh, he comes to a club that. But, um, if not the uh, the biggest club in the land, uh, it's certainly one of the top two, and uh, uh, and they're, they're sitting, you know, almost anchored to the bottom of the table. It's uh, it's just a, a horror show of what's going on there. But uh, you know, they've got a long way to come back from victory, and um, and hopefully, um, if uh, if we uh, if we do uh, manage to get a decent crowd in towards uh, you know the latter stages of the season, we'll um, we'll see a bit of self policing going on in the in the stands as well. Hey, Rob, just imagine if we had relegation in the A-League and victory's probably going to get a points deduction, you would think at Mm -hmm. some point as a result of uh, the investigation, they uh, were looking down the barrel of relegation. And Mm. wouldn't that be the greatest penalty of all time, um, that they get relegated and have to fight their way back? What a shame our pyramid is not connected. Hey, Ed, you know the golden rule of Australian football, out of every great crisis comes, not opportunity but a stakeholder group. The Football Supporters Association Australia Working Group uh, has sprung up over the past couple of weeks. On Twitter, they've said initial discussions will look to build a more diverse fan group, introductory website, email register, survey for fans and members to convey initial thoughts. It's been a while since we had one of these. Remember the golden generation that came out during COVID off the back of those off-the-sport roundtables that they had? Been a bit since we've had a uh, stakeholder group that ultimately won't achieve a lot. Yeah, let's move on for that. That's about iteration 3,425 in my time in the game. So uh, we'll let that one pass through to the keeper. Let's. Uh, what's next on the news? That's not a newsworthy item, Willem. <laughs> it was a joke, though. Socceroos and Matilda Central for the Green and Gold Army. The Men's World Cup is behind us, but there are plenty of upcoming tours at which you can get involved and support our national teams over the next 18 months. Socceroos are going to build on that momentum and hopefully win uh, the Asian Cup when they return to Qatar. And the Matildas are going to look to do the same off the back of 2023 at at the Paris Olympics in 2024, where they can hopefully claim that elusive medal. You can register your interest today at gjtravel.com.au. Rob, Garang Qual's short-term future looks all but certain. It's going to be all but sorted, I should say. It's going to be Hearts in Scotland by the looks of things uh, on loan for the rest of the season. Eddie Howe at Newcastle said he wants him playing first-team football and British football at that. And considering you're still on the 18, to have Rolls, Atkinson and Devlin all there uh, does seem to make sense. 
Yeah, well, um, the, uh, yeah, the the Scottish Premier Premiership um, is uh, littered with Aussies, as we know, and uh, um, you know it's uh, it, it's put the polish on on a few players who uh, were uh, were you know good players in in the A League, but uh, that have stepped up another level, and uh, and that very competition can can take a lot of credit for what Australia ended up doing in Qatar. So uh, uh, if, um, you know, if he's going to get uh, regular first-team football with Hearts who are, you know, sort of uh, competitive, um, if not sort of vying for, uh, you know, the sort of the top end of, of, of the ladder uh, on a regular basis, then, um, then, then that's got to be a good thing. On the pitch, Hearts did have a one-all draw with St Mirren this week. Full game for Kai Rolls and just about a full game for Cam Devlin. They had a, uh, as I said, one-all draw with St Mirren and the opposition's goal came from a deflected Ryan Strain free kick. Aziz Bayich and Mark Birigidi played full games for Dundee in a 2-0 loss to Rangers. But word is, quickly Edge, that Bayich could be headed back to Turkey to Galatasaray of all clubs. One to wait and watch. Yeah, um, the rumours are circulating despite Dundee United coach Liam Fox's denials the rumors are persisting and obviously Aziz a former player of Besiktas uh, would be crossing the town uh, to play for Galatasaray who funnily enough um, uh, extended their lead at the top of the table with a big uh, derby 3-0 win over Fetabache just uh, yesterday or as we record this on Monday on Sunday so yeah Turkish football Superliga is alive and obviously Aziz um, as the advantage of having a Turkish passport as well as his Australian one. So that uh, puts him in the box seat to go to Galatasaray and and, uh, and a good salary. And obviously he speaks the language like a local. And having been in Istanbul, I can imagine as he's strutting around town, he'd, he's, uh, he'd be right at home in, uh, in Istanbul. To the FA Cup, Bailey Wright and Sunderland have advanced to the fourth round. They had a 2-1 win over Shrewsbury. No such luck for Middlesbrough after a heavy loss to Brighton, but Riley McGree did put in a good showing there. Nice to see Maslowongo sign a short-term deal with the club where his senior career started, Ipswich Town as well. So all the best to Mass. We are long-term supporters and hope that the back end of his career gets what it deserves. Matilda Central, Rob, is going to return next week. The English Women's Super League is back this Saturday. Uh, Sunday 11pm probably the pick of the fixtures Sam Kerr and Chelsea against Caitlin Ford and Steph Catley at Arsenal and Alana Kennedy and Hayley Rasso at Man City play Mackenzie Arnold and West Ham Excellent All right. well done Willem looking forward to it and uh, we'll be talking plenty more women's football after the break with Tracy Holmes it's a little over six months from the Women's World Cup in Australia and New Zealand and the, the clock is ticking we've got some good news uh, before the uh, the end of last year with the Matildas uh, finding the kind of form that uh, we've been hoping Tony Gustafs extract from them from some time. And uh, it's now time to, to start the build-up and the hype as, uh, as we count down the days till the Women's World Cup. So stick around. We're going to talk to Tracy Holmes from the ABC about all the build-up to the World Cup after the break on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Welcome back to Box to Box. And this is a chat I've been looking forward to for some time as I followed our next guest's uh, uh, travels in Qatar as Michael was over there at the same time. Uh, Tracy Holmes from the ABC. If there is not a big event in the world of sport that she hasn't covered, well, uh, it's not worth covering. And she joins us again right now from New York. Tracy, very early uh, on in the morning, your time. How are you? 
Oh, I'm I'm pretty good actually. All things considered, it's freezing mm. cold. I think it's going to mm. snow this morning, which we've been waiting for because it hasn't mm-hmm. happened while we've been here. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, other than that, you know, heaps of sport happening here, and uh, I'm meant to be having a holiday, but you just can't tune out a hundred percent, can you? It's impossible. <laughs> no, you can't, and especially when you know when oh. you you enjoy what you're doing, and uh, and it's uh, it's a passion as well. That uh, and you've looked forward to this next event that we're talking about so much. Uh, as much as anybody to think that we've got a uh, a World Cup that uh, that is not only going to put Australia back on the map alongside of New Zealand uh, uh, in the, in the World Game, but also hopefully to redeem. Uh, and we'll talk about this during the course of our conversation. Some of the the disgraces of of, uh, of local football fans as well. But that's a, a question for a little later. A question that I did want to ask you off the top, Trace, was uh, was what I'm sort of sensing is a bit of a slow burn. I'm, I'm wondering whether it's because of the World Cup in Qatar has just fit, finished and and uh, there has been a lot of other uh, news in in the in the, the game in the in the, the popular media but we're just a little over 6 months to go i've been on online buying tickets today a lot of the uh, games are sold out the matildas games the england games um, are you sensing that there's a slow burn in the, in the local media and and are you expecting it to to really build up uh, pretty soon Look, I certainly hope so because I've been wondering the same thing myself. I've been wondering when it's going to kick into gear, when we're Mm. going to start hearing about it, when these conversations are going to start. Um, Even just, you know, aside from the football, there was so much stuff ahead of Qatar about human rights and a lot of people saying, oh, but, you know, this focus will also be put onto Australia um, ahead of the the Women's World Cup, uh, even that conversation hasn't started. So, yeah, it's been interesting, but I guess, as you say, it's been so unusual having a Men's World Cup finish so soon before Christmas. We know Australia is really good at taking uh, a summer break, so kind of December, January end up being written off in so many ways, especially in the media as well because people are taking holidays. Um, and so you would hope, you know, sort of as we get towards the end of this month, there's six months to go. Mm. Like it's got to start happening sooner or later, hasn't it? Otherwise there's yeah. something seriously wrong. Yeah. And, and I mentioned the tickets and, and having bought tickets that uh, you know, they're, they're really affordable. We talked about this. Uh, um, we will talk about this throughout the course of, of the next uh, few months as, as we build up. But I'm wondering whether some of that marketing element has been done as well as it could have otherwise been. I think most people's expectations when it comes to World Cups is the ticketing prices uh, are expensive and that, you know, with Olympics and even Commonwealth Games more recently, uh, uh, people are used to paying a, a top dollar price. But you, you can get into uh, a knockout phase match for, for 30 bucks for adults and uh, and, and 15 20 for children they, they want to see full stadiums um, to contrast this with what you've just seen in Qatar where there, there were a lot of stories amongst the many stories a lot of positive stories about the event but uh, some of the the the, um, the stories that you've you've touched on briefly which we've covered um, on the show um as well, but one one story that did emerge was the papering of some of the stadiums uh, in the early stages, less so in the later stage of the tournament, obviously. But uh, what what experiences could you contrast from what you've just seen in Qatar to to what we need to be doing here? Look, I think one of the things that really struck me as an absolute positive is that I've been to several World Cups now, and um, this one. Uh, in Qatar was so family friendly. 
Mm, it was mm. really interesting watching, you know, people talking about a lack of women's rights in Qatar and stuff like that. But but to see stadiums that, that had, you know, heaps of women, um, heaps of families, heaps of kids, and you kind of think that's really different from men's World Cup. Mm. But we know that that is one of the real selling points of a women's World Cup because there, there are those differences. Um, so in keeping prices cheaper for tickets, they're trying to open it up to as many people as possible, both in Australia and New Zealand, in all of the cities that um, games will be played in. Uh, and so I think, you know, that's the market they're going for. Um, but in saying that, it's like, okay, well, you've got to start – promoting it now because you know the the summer holiday is almost over kids start going back to school plans start being made for what's going to happen later in the year like people have got to get organized you know or save or plan or, or book their trips to if they're going to go interstate what have you um yeah so yeah I'm, I'm kind of intrigued why there just isn't more of a um, an urgent sense around this women's world cup yet Tracy, um, I've worked at many World Cups. The last two Women's World Cups, I've seen the event evolve and, in my opinion, it's now the biggest uh, women's sporting event in the world. Um, and Australians have no idea what's coming. They absolutely have no idea what's coming. It's going to blow them away. Uh, it's going to be so exciting. It's not an expanded World Cup too, so there's more teams in it this time. And um, just, you know, laying that sort of expectation I have over the journey of women's football in Australia, um, it's been, you know, for over the last 30 years, it's been evolving and it's really exploded in the last uh, in the last decade. And it seems to me that Australian football now needs the Matildas and this event to be highly successful to regain some of the disgraces that have been going on in the local game. And um, the irony is not lost on me in particular because, um, you know, soccer and football, uh, as it's now known, has the ability to shoot itself in the foot. And for all of the denigration of the women's game that's happened in that journey, all of a sudden uh, the local men's game's relying on the Matildas and this women's football event to really uh, regain the status that we all want the sport to have in the in the game, um, in Australia in particular. But to, do you reflect on that as much as I have over the last couple of weeks? Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, I think this is one of the, the differences also. If you look around the world, like I've been looking at a little bit of stuff that's been happening here in the USA, um, and you look at uh, FIFA 2019, the women's last Women's World Cup in France, and, and you look at um, where the audiences have really grown in phenomenal numbers, uh, South America, um, Africa, uh, and even if you look at a comparison between 2015 viewing audience in America and 2019, it's it's phenomenal. Um, and this is where you start to see that the women's game is shooting up on a on a really steep trajectory. Um, the men's game we know is kind of at capacity. I mean, everyone plays it, everyone watches it right around the world, although we saw where the growth is going to come from in the men's game in Qatar because it's that Middle East and Africa element that is taking off. But it's also going to happen in the women's game, you know, similar, similar regions. Um, and, and if we're not careful, we're going to be overtaken uh, and I think this will be one of the great shames if we don't get on board. One of the other things I noticed from Qatar, and I thought 
this is interesting and I've thought it for a long time across sport generally in Australia. You know, we talk about the way we love the underdogs and we support the underdogs. But it was really interesting watching all of the crowds there really getting behind their teams, even when they were, you know, two goals down. Um, the, the fans never gave up. The Aussies went quiet very quickly. And it's like, no, no, we, we've got to embrace it the way the South Americans do or the way the Africans do. Um, you know, keep on urging them on. Uh, they were such great fans to watch and contrast. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with Aussie fans in that respect, but but we go quiet very quickly. You know, we've got to use our energy to, to push the team further. And I think the Matildas will play to that. We've seen it in other games and, and hopefully that's some of the sense that we're going to get once the World Cup kicks into gear. Tracy, the juggernaut that is US women's soccer, um, they not only uh, an on-field phenomenon, but they bring with them There'll be at least thirty to 50,000 American women travelling. Um, we don't get to see them in Australia until uh, the quarterfinal stage. So um, it'll be really interesting. You know, we, we fully expect that the Americans will get through pretty comfortably the early stages. They do have uh, New Zealand in their group, but um, I'm expecting the impact of the Americans and um, you and I, we saw it in France, the, the American support is just amazing and it is coming from groups and groups of people who travel that are basically uh, women's football teams and mums and daughters and it is a unique atmosphere um one thing that i'm really looking for i hope they uh, i hope they're not a shock omission of the of the event and the australian sporting public gets to see the american in full fight on field and off field Oh, definitely. Um, the Americans are something else, and I think they've sort of uh, led the way for so many um, other teams. But their examples, not just on the field, but off the field as well, you know, um, people like Megan Rapino, who, who are just so well known, not just because of the colour of her hair, but because she's so involved in what's going on outside the game of football, but using her football platform to try and make change. And I think this is also one of the big differences between the men's game and the women's game. Uh, because the women's game doesn't have that same sort of uh, exposure, um, hasn't had the same sorts of, um, you know, big money and big transfer fees and, and investment in, in clubs, uh, they've been able to develop um, from a much more kind of, you know, grassroots community base and things that become important, issues that become important, they can use that platform to speak about in a way that is more free than I think a lot of men feel that, um, you know, they have the ability to do because of sponsorship and all sorts of things. Um, but the Americans, are, uh, you know, they, they, they're something else, aren't they? I mean, the energy they bring is phenomenal. You talk about the fans that will be coming to um, accompany and support them. That's one thing. But even if you look at uh, the television aspect, you look at the 2018 Men's World Cup and the number of people that watched that final here in America, um, it was just blown out of the water by the number of people that watched the USA women's team win in France 2019. It was incredible. Um, so they've got a real place here in, in sporting history. And I don't know if you know this, but um, three days before Christmas, uh, 
the US House here actually passed a new bill, and this was all spurred on by the US women's football team. Uh, the bill is, I think it's called, you know, the, the um, USA Team Equal Pay Act or something like that. And basically what it means is now that any national team that plays for the USA um, internationally is guaranteed whatever the men get, the women are going to get. So whether that's, you know, first or business class tickets, whether that's accommodation, whether that's access to uh, medical and physio and all of those things, plus salaries, it's got to be equal across the board. That was all driven by the US women's team. And uh, they know, you know, they're, they're so successful, most successful in the world, four World Cup titles, um, four Olympic Games titles, uh, they're phenomenal. You know, they outrank the men hugely uh, and they've got a much bigger platform than the men. Um, but as we know, you know, prize money's sort of nowhere near uh, together, but it is growing and the US women have been driving that. Let's bring the discussion a little bit back home, Tracy. Um, and from a big picture perspective, um, Football Australia, um, do you think they're prepared and do you think they will prepare the Matildas for the pressure of being the host nation and the expectations of um, not so much the football community but the mainstream Australian community who will get caught up in this event? Uh, the pressure is going to be like nothing the Matildas have experienced before. Uh, do you think this organisation's got its head around it and do you think that they will prepare them appropriately to carry that the expectations of uh, what it means to be a host nation at a FIFA World Cup? Look, um, I'm pretty sure they will, and I know that a lot of that is going to come from um, Tony Gustafsson as well, who's had experience, uh, you know, with the US women's team. Um, but as you say, at home, it brings a whole different level of pressure and a whole lot of other expectations. Uh, you talk about, you know, the fans and, and the supporter base there. I, I don't think that's going to be the issue. I think the issue is going to be the media. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, uh, I agree. You know, yeah. and and I think we've seen a disconnect in so many things. I mean, even in Qatar, it was really interesting being there and 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 just observing and watching what was going on, and then reading what was in the media and thinking, "Hang on, like I feel like I'm in some sort of parallel universe here." And I know there was also a reluctance in the media to publish anything that was different to the narrative that had developed over a 12-year period. And uh, I know that the media can turn very quickly when things aren't going right, you know. And, and again, if the Matildas are not winning because there's always such a huge expectation on their shoulders, I think the team and the players are fine. I think they know what sort of pressure they're going to be under. Um, and I think Football Australia understands that as well. But that disconnect between what's happening on the field, in the stands, and then the way the media is reporting it, uh, you know, that is where I think there could be some level of concern. We'll keep the discussion to the uh, the Women's World Cup. <laughs> I'd love to go to Burrow with you about uh, how the media was reporting Qatar. For, for someone who spent some time in Qatar, I wholeheartedly agree with uh, the reflections in the media not reflecting actually what was happening uh, at that event. It, uh, yeah, there were so many missed opportunities. But well, that's a discussion for another time, Tracy. My last question for you before we hand back to Rob is, Tony Gustafsson, um, 
has been a he's been on a journey with this team. We know he comes with a pedigree of success, being Jill Ellis's right hand man through those wonderful times for American women's football. But uh, he's got a job to do at the moment, and he's backs against the wall. Been a been a bit of a tough time right since he has taken over the the task of coaching, and there is that narrative around the coaching position of midfielders which will bug him um, right up to it, including uh, this event. Um, how do you think he's going and what do you think he's thinking? Oh, look, you know, that's impossible. Yeah. <laughs> um, I wish I could dial him up and just say, hey, quickly, you know, tell me what you're thinking at the moment and how are you really feeling? Um, and it's been interesting because in the last week I've just read Megan Rapino's book and it was interesting there because in the media, again, you know, Jill Ellis has had, um, she was the previous coach of the US women's team and, and got heaps of, uh, you know, praise and adulation. Reading Megan's book, you got a really different sense. And I thought, isn't this interesting? You know, this is where in the media, we can tell you as much as we think we know, but we're not on the inside. Uh, you know, and and you can get leaks from the inside and that's fine, but it depends who's leaking and what is their agenda in leaking that information. Very much from the outside and standing back and watching Tony Gustafsson, it's been interesting, uh, I thought, that right from the word go, he knew he had a limited time. He knew also that we have a history of playing teams that are weaker than us and celebrating the fact that we're really, really good because we smash them. And then we come up against the really top teams in the world and it's much harder. And so I think he set out and I'm sure, you know, he's had many discussions with all of the players about this. You're not going to enjoy losing, but the only way we're going to get better against these top teams is to play them and to figure out what it is we need to do just to make that little little leap, you know, instead of being quarter-finalists, uh, we can be semi-finalists, we can be finalists, we can win the thing. Um, and I think we have seen that sort of development. But it very much depends on the cohesion of the team as a unit. You know, when they come together, and, and I'm sure with the, the, the backing and the support of, of um, Australians all around, they're going to feel that. They're going to play well. You know, he's developed some depth, which we haven't seen has been one of the issues in the past. Um, you know, I, the media has been pretty down on him, but I'm prepared to wait and see because we haven't had the show yet uh, and I don't want to judge yet. Um, all we can do is look at, you know, stand back and look at the sort of progress that has been made and some of the decisions he's taken. And I actually think, you know, I, I don't know if anyone could have done any better yet. Well, it's going to be fascinating to see, Tracy, because the, those points you've made about those those early really difficult games, the heavy losses, but then the pendulum we most recently saw shift back on November the 12th at Amy Park in front of 22,000 people. And it sort of brought together a lot of the things that you've said uh, in this conversation. I was there sitting right on the sideline. One of the things as a person who's, uh, who has grown up watching uh, all sorts of sport in this country and seen the real hyper-masculine uh, uh, 
experience inside of uh, uh, stadiums. I really enjoyed the family-friendly environment of uh, young girls and young boys and their mums and dads uh, uh, excited, cheering on uh, their side and, and bringing a, a really wonderful atmosphere. So if if what we saw that day where they they gave the, the, the Swedish national side a hiding, um, perhaps a little inside information from the uh, the coach himself who knows a bit about that country, uh, to, to the atmosphere that we saw that day and and have seen around Australia in other uh, stadiums uh, again that if the media do jump on board in a positive fashion start to get this story out and start to you know not for the sake of just rehabilitating the game in this country uh, from from a fan perspective but to, to to put this event on the pedestal that it deserves to be then um, we're going to see some really exciting times coming up uh, uh, mid-year and uh, in the back half of, uh, of this tournament. So, hey, Trace, we could talk forever. Um, thank you so much for, for coming on and I uh, really enjoyed your work uh, covering Qatar as well with the ABC. Um, uh, make sure if you're listening to this and you love your podcast, listen to the ticket. You know, in so far as top shelf sporting podcasts, just podcasts in general, it's the best. Tracy is a, um, you know, a, a brilliant uh, investigative journalist and uh, an interviewer, and it never lets anyone get away with anything, Tracy. Uh, so um, <laughs> thanks for coming on, and um, and we'll talk to you again real soon. Eh? Okay, you know I love talking to you guys, so thanks very much. Thank you for the ringing endorsement. Um, <laughs> bit over the top, but, uh, yeah, always lovely chatting to you. Thank you. Tracy. I've been listening to you since you were uh, a rookie at the ABC, and uh, it's it's great to talk to you. I don't want to sound like too much of a fanboy, but I think uh, our listeners know that. Rob. Uh, yeah, well, we all are. I, 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 I'll concede. <laughs> Tracy Holmes from the ABC <laughs> over there in New York talking about the Women's World Cup. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Tracy. Until next time. Okay, stick around. After the break, we're going to talk more Women's World Cup. There's just when, as Roy and HG would say, too much World Cup is barely enough in World Cup Corner on Box to Box. Warehouse. Well, I tell you, he hasn't missed a beat. Damien Tardio taught him very well how to play that uh, jingle underneath the uh, the live commercial as it, as it comes up uh, because it tells you that right now you've got to get in there to Chemist Warehouse for your half price off the Nature's Own range. Nature's Own Super B Complex 75 tablets, just $14.49. Look, if you're feeling a little stress in life, I don't think anybody escapes this life without stress to the edge. No, no, stress is uh, a... Well, what does Tim Cowell say about stretcher? It's a pressure. It's a, like a diamond. Ah, yes, it does. I know what your point is. You haven't fully elaborated on, but we all know what pressure creates uh, well, diamonds, diamonds. Welcome pressure, don't they? Yeah, that's exactly right. But if you want to just ease a little bit of the daily stress out of your life, get a hold of some of those Nature's Own Super B Complex tablets, and they will assist you for fourteen ninety nine. And if you need some sleep, Willem, um, you know I don't really like waking up in the middle of the night not being able to get back to sleep so uh, the nature's own complete ad- sleep advanced 60 tablets $22.24 that's a deal sounds like a bargain to me yeah and uh, and Derek uh, uh, with um, the, the work you're doing in the the Heelsville uh, futsal competition uh, on those joints of yours you'll probably need some nature's own glucosamine sulfate with chondroitin the 320 tablets plenty of those for $29.99 that'll keep you fit and running and uh, firing and goals into the the back of the old onion bag I believe so, Rob. And yeah, there's a lot of lot of weight, a lot of pressure on those joints at the moment. As I 
flood around the court, so it could be well needed, mm. I think. Yeah, I think everyone on this podcast, apart from Willen, resembles those remarks uh, just quietly. Offer excludes the bulk sizes. Chemist Warehouse, the great savings. They are every single day. Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box. Great chat with Tracy Holmes just before the break. They're really looking forward to the Women's World Cup in Australia and New Zealand later in the year. But more pressing concerns right now are the anxieties of Arsenal fans all over the world. Uh, in the post-Arsene Wenger era, they have vied with Manchester United for the hangover of all hangovers for what uh, had been the uh, the very, very top flight of football uh, in the Premier League. And uh, is the waiting over a man who watches it as closely as anybody from the Athletic? We read his copy every week. Is James McNicholas, and we welcome back to the show. How are you, James? I'm very good. Glad to be back. Thanks for having me on. No, not at all, mate. So, um, I've already mentioned that uh, Edge and Derek are uh, Arsenal fans, as anyone who listens to this show knows all too well. But uh, as an outside, non-partisan observer. Um, in myself asking you the question, um, are, are you shocked at how quickly this has come about or uh, or is this potentially a false dawn? I mean, there's a long, long time to go in this season. Well, it's really interesting. I mean, if you spoke to Edu, who's the club's technical director, a couple of years ago or when he first came in the door, interestingly, he always cited this season, 22-23, as the year he felt that Arsenal could be competitive again. And it seems that he was right. Now, even so, I think despite those predictions, I think most of the club would admit they're a little ahead of schedule. Uh, the same was true last season. You know, they were looking at last season thinking we need to get back into Europe. Really, by all rights, they probably should have finished in the top four, fell short of the final hurdle. This year, they were thinking, right, Champions League qualification, that's got to be the aim. And now they've ended up in a fight for the title. And I think, you know, given their extraordinary start, we do have to call it that at this point in time. I don't think it is a false dawn because I think a lot of work has been done behind the scenes. A lot of building blocks have been put in place. We're now seeing the benefit of a lot of that work that's been done you know, by Edu, by Mikel Arteta, by other executives within the club. The investment has been a big part of it from the owners. Arsenal has spent a lot of money, let's be clear. It's not a, a fairy tale. They've you know, really utilised the transfer market to improve the playing squad. That work is now bearing fruit and I think they're a little bit ahead of schedule but honestly, trying to be as objective as I possibly can be, I think Arsenal are, you know, if not here to stay at the summit of the table, here to stay as a, a serious force in the Premier League again and as you mentioned in your introduction, Arsenal fans will feel that's long overdue. James, it's fabulous to have you back on Box to Box. Uh, when Mikel Arteta was appointed and he had that difficult time, the narrative coming out of the club was about a rebuild. Can mm -hmm. Arsenal fans now officially say he has rebuilt the club and it's now time to shoot for the stars and um, get some trophies in the cabinet and see what can be done on the European stage? Um, is that is that a fair assessment? Or if if not... When can we say that he has rebuilt the club? I think he's certainly rebuilt the squad. And if you look at the playing staff, you know, it's principally his players at this point in time. There are some he inherited. You know, you're thinking of the likes of Granit Xhaka, Kieran Tierney, who were at the club before him. But these are guys he's really 
taken to his heart, who he loves and who he's worked with very closely. It is his group of players now. Um, I think the final piece in some respects was the front line. You know, he needed, he hadn't really signed a new striker until last summer. Then he went out and got Gabriel Jesus, which told us, you know, what he was looking for in a centre forward. And the way he hit the ground running and started at Arsenal was fantastic. Of course, the injury to Jesus is maybe one of the shadows over Arsenal at the present point in time because he's been such an important player. But even Eddie Nketiah, you know, one of those guys in Arteta inherited, but he knew him from his time as a player there when Eddie was in the academy. I think he'd done a bit of work with him when he was doing his coaching badges. He's, you know, got a lot of faith in Eddie and he's done all right since he came into the team. So I think he's rebuilt the playing group. I think what he's also done, and anyone who's been to the Emirates Stadium this season will testify to this, is he's rebuilt the connection between the club, the team and the supporters. And I don't think you can underestimate how important that was because, you know, we made reference to the the latter years of Arsene Wenger. It was quite a fractious, difficult time to be an Arsenal fan. There was a lot of dissent, a lot of arguments in the stands, online, about the direction of the club, about you know whether or not the manager was the right man. And one of Mikel Arteta's big buzzwords is unity. And it's a very unified place at this point in time, Arsenal. And I do think the manager deserves tremendous credit for that. You uh, raised Nketiah just uh, in that answer. I'm just interested to, when you... Um look at what's ahead for Arsenal and there's a couple of games against Manchester City still to come as well as mm-hmm. um, some other big games uh, as as we know the schedule but um, Saka, Odengard, Martinelli and Enkedia those four players are they good enough to take Arsenal the whole way or um, are we looking for another solution uh, to come into that mix of the, the, the front third of the field? It's the big question, really. I mean, none of those players individually can make the kind of monstrous contribution of someone like an Erling Haaland at Manchester City. But I think the strength of Arsenal's game and the reason they've, until now, been able to kind of withstand the Jesus injury is that it's a collective effort. You know, the goals are shared across that front four uh, very, very evenly. Even so... I think Arsenal recognise that if they are to push on, if they are to really run this close with Manchester City or who knows, maybe even go all the way if they can get the right results, they are going to need more. And that's why this is a pivotal January transfer window for them. I mean, at this point last season, you know, they looked firm favourites to qualify in fourth spot for the Champions League. Uh, They tried to bring in an additional attacker. Ultimately, they weren't able to do so and they decided to stick with their long-term recruitment plan. A year on, well, look, they got Jesus, they got Zinchenko, they got players that they really, really wanted. They'd probably feel justified in that approach, but it did cost them Champions League in some respects uh, and, and an awful lot of money in the process. I think this time round, the prize is so great, potentially, with a first Premier League title for almost uh, 20 years. I mean, it's it's 2023 now. 2024 will be 20 years since the Invincibles and Arsenal's last Premier League title. I think they're going to have to go for it. They know that. And the names are already out there. Mikhailo Mudrik, who's a very exciting Ukrainian forward, plays primarily from the left wing. You know, Arsenal and Chelsea, both in negotiations with Shakhtar Donetsk over his signature. His preference appears to be Arsenal. That may stand them in good stead. And they're also looking at Jao Felix, who 
He's a player with tremendous talent, tremendous ability, went to Atletico Madrid for a vast amount of money, but things haven't quite worked out for him there. He and his agent would like to find a solution in this window. If Arsenal can do a deal for a six-month loan for someone who can augment their front line, play in a variety of different positions, I think they'd be very interested in doing that as well. So, yes, they've got fantastic talent on the pitch, but do they have the depth? I'm not sure they do. And I think that's why they need to go out and do something. But there are other internal solutions too. They play in the FA Cup tonight and Emil Smith-Rowe is expected to make his first appearance for quite some time since undergoing surgery on a hip and groin problem he was suffering with. That will be a big boost because we saw the other night against Newcastle. You know, they had Newcastle on the back foot. Yes, they were defending stoutly, but Arsenal had most of the ball, most of the territory. They just didn't have a player to bring on in that final 20 minutes to change the dynamic, to test those tired legs. I think having Smith Rowe back and hopefully one or two additions too would be really valuable for Arsenal at this point in time. James, the bedrock of many uh, a successful Arsenal this season has, has, has come from the back and particularly centre-backs. Obviously, we think of Adams and Keown, Adams and Campbell, uh, Campbell and Torre. Um, and then mm. we've had, you know, Squalacci <laughs> and Senderos and a number of other players who... Had uh, Mustafi, another one. Uh, lots of players, mixed bag, some players with promise, etc., but didn't really fulfil it. How good is it now for the team to have two really promising but already very competent centre-backs and, and uh, in um, Gab- Gabrielle and Saliba? And how pleasing has it been to kind of watch their partnership gel over the course of the season? It's been fantastic, but also I think a little bit of a surprise simply because, you know, Arsenal spent £50 million on Ben White last summer and he came in and formed a pretty effective partnership with Gabriel himself. So when William Saliba came back from his loan with Marseille, I think a lot of people looked at that solution uh, situation rather and thought, does three into two go? What's going to happen there? As happened uh, in pre-season, you know, Arsenal were without Takiro Tomiyasu at right back. And Mikel Arteta kind of fell upon this idea of using Gabriel and Saliba next to each other with White out at right back. And I think they all deserve tremendous credit. You're absolutely right. Defences are built on partnerships and, you know, Saliba and Gabriel have a fantastic one. They really get on off the pitch as well. They know each other from their time playing in the French League. Uh, And there's been an immediate rapport and understanding between them. I think one of the things that Arsenal fans will be really pleased about is they're very physically dominant. You know, I think, People talk about the technical quality of this Arsenal team, but like some of Arsene Wenger's best teams, it does have that physical edge. You know, Thomas Partey in midfield as well. Jesus in a different way uh, when he's playing up front. You know, the tenacity, the pressing. This is a a physical outfit as well as a skillful one. But I think we've also got to give credit to Ben White, who, you know, played right back a few times in his career uh, with Leeds and with Brighton has slotted into that role superbly. I mean, people who watched Arsenal regularly last season would have told you Tommy Asu was one of their better players. And at the moment, he's on the outside looking in because White has just been fantastic and has developed into a, a really cultured fullback. So, yeah, and when Arsenal attack, it's those three they leave at the back, White, Saliba and Gabriel. So uh, you can almost think of them as a defensive trio with Zinchenko or Tierney pushing on from left back. And they've been brilliant. And that, I think, is one area of the pitch where Arsenal do have some depth. You know, if White is out, they've got Tomiyasu. Uh, if Zinchenko is out, they've got Tierney. Uh, obviously, White and Tomiyasu can both play at centre-half as well as at full-back. So, 
it's really the attacking third of the pitch where I think the fans will be looking at it and thinking one or two additions there would be really, really valuable. And thinking about, uh, you said that obviously Arteta preaches unity and that it is a collective effort, but of course they have to be driven on by a captain. And again, if we look back, you know, post Patrick Vieira leaving the club in 2005, there's been a mixed bag. Obviously, Cesc took it on. Uh, Thierry Henry and Van Persie as kind of the best players in the team, suddenly becoming the captain. The less said about William Gallas, probably the better uh, as as the captain. But it's been obviously Arteta, the boss himself, was a successful captain. Left lifted the uh, the cup as well. But Odegaard has obviously been getting rave reviews for his goals, his passing, his movements, etc. But he he seems like quite an unassuming character. He doesn't seem like he's going to be a Roy Keane style fire and brimstone kind of captain. But what what is it about his leadership that you think is getting the best out of this team? I think, to be honest with you, Mikel Arteta may see something of himself in Martin Odegaard. They're very different types of players. Uh, well, certainly by the time Arteta arrived at Arsenal as a player, you know he was used as a deep lying midfielder. Earlier in his career, he'd been more of a creative attacking midfielder. But I mean that in terms of their um, pure professionalism. You know, anyone who works with Odegaard says he's kind of like the head boy at school. You know, he's the perfect pupil. He's first in training, last out. Every cliche you want to name. He is someone who couples enormous technical talent with fantastic work rate. I mean, he's the instigator, the leader of Arsenal's press, which has been a formidable weapon for them this season. And he's someone who plays a little bit like a coach. He has tremendous tactical understanding of the game. Yes, he doesn't necessarily strike you as the most tub-thumping vocal character, but he absolutely leads by example. And I think the decision to give the armband to Arteta, uh, to Odegaard rather, confusing them myself now, um, was the correct one from Arteta. And it was important because if you think of his predecessor, Unai Emery, you know, the captaincy issue was something that was a bit of a stain on Emery's time at Arsenal. You know, the armband bounced around a little bit. He took his time making decision. The players were allowed to vote. He ultimately landed on Shaka, who, of course, had that big fallout with the fans and was stripped of the armband. And I think when it came time for Emery to be dismissed, I think, you know, some of the debate around the captaincy that had happened weighed quite heavily in that decision and I think certainly weighed quite heavily in the, the minds of the fans. I think it spoke of indecision and uncertainty uh, and they have sort of added to the feeling he wasn't the right man for the job. Arteta inherited Aubameyang as captain. Obviously, that all blew up. Um, but it was essential he got this one right and he picked someone who was relatively young. He's still only 24, Martin Odegaard, albeit captain of Norway, and who's someone who's a symbol of this project. You know, a player who can be with this club for the next five years, lead them through the next period. And within the dressing room at Arsenal, Martin Odegaard has uh, an incredibly good reputation. I think everyone recognises his professionalism, his ability. And his recent performances have spoken to me of someone who senses an opportunity this season and realises that as captain, he's going to have to play a leadership role. And he has been the man making things tick. It might be Saka, Martinelli, Jesus, who've maybe grabbed more headlines. But I think you take Martin Odegaard out of this team and Arsenal would miss him desperately. As we speak, James, uh, we we don't know the uh, Oxford result. That is still to come. And it yet could be academic, given the draw against uh, City away in 
round four, but let's mm-hmm. just take it one step at a time. But um, with Arsenal still in three competitions, uh, you know, had a very good start to the Europa League. We'll see what happens in the FA Cup. Do you, do you think Arteta will try and prioritise everything, uh, knowing that, you know, the league is definitely not cut and shut and guaranteed and that, you know, it, it's also good just to win trophies, whether that be an FA Cup or Europa League? Or do you think uh, he'll just think he needs to go in on, all in on the league because that's the opportunity and really that's all he has the squad really to deliver? I think, listen, if I put my support hat on, uh, I really do think that uh, there's a big part of me that thinks Arsenal should prioritise the Premier League. They're just in such a fantastic position and one, you know, as we start by saying that no one necessarily anticipated. Um, and they do have some concerns over depth in some areas of the squad. So I would not be adverse to Arsenal really saying, look, we've got this incredible opportunity in the Premier League, let's go for it. But I have to be honest and say, I don't really believe that is Mikel Arteta's nature. And if you look back at his time at Arsenal, although Arsenal are a very young team and have brought through a lot of young players and signed a lot of young players, he's never really been one to, let's say in the cup competitions, stick a load of kids out there. As as Arsene Wenger did say with those Carling Cup teams playing teenagers essentially in the cup competitions, Arteta's never really done that. Yes, he will rotate his squad, but it will be from the senior group. And I think he'll continue to do that in the cup competitions. And I think the Europa League as well, is a big target for Arsenal. Um, you know, Champions League qualification, well, they think they'll stand a very good chance of that via the Premier League this time. But a European trophy, you know, I spoke about Arsenal not winning the Premier League for nearly 20 years. It's even longer since they won a European trophy. You're going back to kind of early to mid-90s. And for a club their size, who aspire to be, you know, a real force within European football, who consider themselves one of the European Super League when that ill-fated project uh, began, That is too long. And so I think as much as Mikel Arteta will be focused on the Premier League, he'll also have one eye particularly on the Europa League. Um, But that is going to test this squad to its limits. And I'm sure that's why he'll be, you know, knocking on the door of the technical director, the owners, trying to make sure some business happens in the next few weeks. And briefly before we go, uh, if that Premier League dream is to happen this season, uh, there's the small matter of the uh, North London derby this weekend. Uh, you wouldn't want to uh, face any but your bitterest foe to uh, to earn the right for the title. Uh, Antonio Conte's uh, got uh, Spurs in contention. Um, they're, they're breathing down the neck of Manchester United and even Newcastle if they can get the three points here and uh, and a stumbling Liverpool on their tail. Uh, this is going to be a cracking match uh, this weekend. It will. And it will be interesting to see how far Arsenal have come in a short space of time because let's not forget, you know, this is kind of where their top four bid crumbled. Um, They lost at White Hart Lane uh, pretty heavily. Rob Holding was sent off and it gave Spurs big impetus in that push for a Champions League place. Arsenal followed up with a defeat at Newcastle and suddenly it was out of their hands. So, you know, there'll be a big motivation for Arsenal as there always is in a derby, but to go there and try and set things right. um, Spurs are, you know, it's an interesting time to play Spurs. Their form has been a little bit up and down and yet they keep grinding out results. I'm fascinated to see how this game goes, but it's it's a big game in a big month for Arsenal. And I think by the end of January, 
we'll have a clear idea of how their season is going to pan out. Certainly from where we stood right now, it does look very promising. Well, James, if Liverpool can't win it, then at least I'll have two happy colleagues to work with on this podcast. This Arsenal <laughs> do manage to, mate. So, hey, we'll let you go. Thank you so much, mate. Um, you've got a busy day ahead of you before the uh, the FA Cup tie tonight. Our listeners will know the result of that match by the time they, they tune into this. Uh, uh, enjoy that game, mate. Uh, and hopefully, we'll talk to you in in you know a month or so uh, as as the season develops a little more and we know uh, the next chapter of the story. Yeah, the, the listeners will probably be laughing at my positivity when Oxford are in the draw for the fourth round of the FA Cup. But there you go. Well, not after the weekend of FA Cup results we've seen so far, mate. So, uh, <laughs> true. Good on you, James. Till next Cheers. time. Cheers. Thanks for having me, guys. James McNicholas from The Athletic uh, talking Arsenal. Okay, stick around after the break. World Cup corner with a Women's World Cup corner just six months or Women's World Cup just over six months away. It's going to be all about the female game next on Box to Box. Everybody's going to buy Hoyts. This is time to talk about our good friends at Hoyts. It's summer. I know, Willem, you did a fantastic job over the last couple of weeks uh, making me feel hungry uh, when you were doing the live reads for for Hoyts food, telling us uh, all about how summer is the time for great outdoor cooking. And uh, I had my Weber smoke fire going uh, yesterday. And seriously, that is a quality barbecue if you want to buy a good barbecue. And uh, and what I did was uh, I I marinated um, some pork cutlets in in a mixture of cumin and turmeric and chilli powder and garlic powder and onion powder and then a little bit of olive oil and squeezed the lemon juice fed income. That is the most flavour-packed pork cutlet you are ever going to eat. Edge, um, you didn't get a lot of pork over there in uh, the Middle East, but... uh, You didn't get any, um, Rob. Yeah, you're enjoying it now in Asia. Is that the sort of thing that whets your taste buds, mate? certainly does. But uh, it's getting it going over here in Bangkok, I can tell you. Um, No, no, the Hoyts Herbs and Spices make every delectable item in your uh, larder taste a lot better, Rob. There's no doubt about that. So get down to the supermarket, Mm -hmm. go into that aisle, Mm -hmm. and uh, make sure you get the sachets. You don't have to buy the... Don't have to buy the containers every time you need it. You just buy the sachets, fill up the container. That's exactly what you do. You refill your empty spice jars with Hoyts. And Willem, you know, you like to uh, to save your money for your big uh, football trips. And uh, I'm sure that's the sort of thing that you do to uh, make sure you don't waste money on things you don't need to. No, that's where Hoyts comes into play, Rob. Cheap, affordable, but delicious spices every single day. And Derek, mate, the barbecue king, uh, he's, uh, he's fair income turned into a, an Aussie. Uh, I've, I've got um, a great admiration for his ability to to, 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 to to slowly shift into the green and gold corner. There's stories that he'll tell us on another day about just how committed he is to doing that. But uh, as a barbecue artist, um, there's, uh, there's done better, Derek, out at the Hillsville Sanctuary. Oh, no, that, that, that's great praise. Thank you. You haven't had one of my barbecues yet, but I do look forward to uh, be going around. having you around soon. And, of course, all the Hoyts herbs and spices will be there ready to rock and roll. <laughs> I think Rob oh, yeah, needs to bring a hamper when we go. Oh, mate, I'll bring it. And goodies for everybody. Because when I do, boys, you'll be even happier with Hoyts. Get down to Coles, Woolworths, and all good independent supermarkets to buy Hoyts today. to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all.
Welcome back to Box to Box. Great show so far. Really been enjoying the uh, the diverse chats with Tracy Holmes about the Women's World Cup and the boys had a bit of fun there with James McNicholas. I know they're getting very, very excited. Uh, maybe the Gunners will win their 14th title and uh, well, they've still got another five to go after that to catch Liverpool and uh, and six to get Manchester United. But yeah, you got to only do it one at a time, boys. Time for World Cup Corner. We promise it's going to be with a women's focus uh, from here on in. Uh, Willem, you've got a few good stories, uh, a couple of domestic ones uh, to kick us off. Yeah, an exciting one out of the A-League women's competition. Some good news around Melbourne victory. They've signed Sarah Rowe. Uh, Sarah's been in Melbourne for some time. She's been playing with Collingwood's AFLW side for the past five years, uh, but now at the victory and turned out in Friday's one-all draw with the glory. Uh, So Michael's just got a considerable uh, background in football. She is a senior Ireland international. She was part of the uh, Irish under-19 side that made the semi-finals at the 2014 uh, UEFA Women's Under-19s. Uh, she left football to pursue Gaelic football uh, and has then come over here as an AFLW player. Uh, now back to the round ball, hoping to take on the Matildas in the Women's World Cup. Yeah, Willem, um, she's got an interesting background. Um, the uh, mail I've got is that she's an extremely humorous person too, so she's fitted into training very, very well. But she's only a short-term injury replacement for Melina Ayres, who's uh, expected to be back for the Adelaide game in a couple of weeks. So we might only see Sarah maybe two or three more times. So, yep, uh, another um, interesting topic with CrossCode. But uh, I think the big signing was Angela Beard going to Western United. They are now assembling what I think is a really potential potential winning um, uh, A-League women's competition. And is it Angie Beard's last throw of the dice to uh, nail a position in the, as, as the second left back in the Matildas squad? Um, interesting to see whether Angie can, um, can do that or not. Moving on, we'll have a look at the USA. They're expected to go very deep in this tournament. We know they've got all three of their games against Vietnam, the Netherlands, and a qualifier in New Zealand. To this point, they've never actually played in New Zealand, but that's about to change. Rob Flatko Andonovsky's just named his 24-player squad. Uh, They're coming out here to New Zealand next week, uh, and then they're going to have two friendlies against uh, the Kiwis on January 17 and January 20. So that looks like a very solid acclimatisation mission. Yep, um, they've got, uh, uh, as we all know, most of their games over there in uh, in the land of the long white cloud, the USA. Their uh, group with Vietnam, Netherlands, and the uh, and the Group A playoff winner, which uh, is. Um to be determined, so uh, uh, that uh, that makes a hell of a lot of sense. And if they do as well as Canada did when they acclimatised in Australia recently, then um, the Kiwis will have a, a lot to be concerned about. Rob, you've been in the market for uh, tickets this week, I believe, and relatively pleased with the prices. Quite accessible, uh, yeah. oil reports. Yeah, I think so. I think um, a lot of the the um, the smart uh, um, punters got on very early, and uh, it's it's easy. All you got to do is get it do. It. Type in a, a search FIFA Women's World Cup tickets and, and the, the FIFA site will come up immediately. You've just got to set up an account with email and password and then you're in there. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, ticket prices uh, I found were, uh, as you say, Willem, really access- accessible. Um, I mean, if examples uh, of some of the big matches in the group stages are uh, uh, $30 odd for, for adults for some tickets, uh, $20, $15 for, for kids. Uh, um, there's still plenty of, uh, of uh, tickets available for. For, for some of the knockout stage matches. So if you're listening uh, to the show uh, around the country in Brisbane uh, um, and, uh, and in Sydney, the quarterfinals, there's a heap of tickets available.
available, you're obviously not going to know who you're watching. But you know, if you're watching a World Cup knockout match, then uh, then you know you're going to be uh, uh, guaranteed a, a, a really good uh, a really good uh, uh, result. Uh, the, the the sellout matches so far are the Matildas matches, uh, the England matches. Funnily enough, uh, uh, well, at least in Australia, that's a, a pretty fair indication of the expats. What did surprise me, and I'm interested in your opinion on this, whether FIFA uh, are holding back any tickets from from the Australian matches, um, whether we will see some come on late. But uh, um, if, uh, if we've got New Zealand listeners, there's there's plenty of tickets uh, available still to to all of the uh, the football ferns matches. Uh, I suspect they are, Rob. Mm. There will be tickets that they're holding back for various stakeholder groups that will come on sale closer to uh, um, the Australians uh, taking the field in the World Cup, Rob. That's my educated opinion. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, it'll be interesting to see uh, if they do and um, and whether uh, there's any come up in uh, in in some of those those big matches because uh, right now. Uh, as the appetite builds and people are looking, you know, you, you, you're going to have to do a bit of publicity to get the word back out there if they've already if got a sense that they've been disappointed that they, they can't get the, the Australia tickets. But uh, but similar to the to the Cricket World Cup, um, I know when I took uh, my, my youngest son, Alexander, to the Women's World Cup final uh, uh, back, well, it was the last big event um, in Australia at the MCG before COVID, uh, I only paid five bucks to get into that event. And um, and they they managed to get ninety thousand in there. So, uh, what would you rather? You know, like a twenty thirty percent full stadium uh, for uh, full of people who are prepa- prepared to pay higher prices, or uh, or the you know the the wonderful theatre that you get with full houses. Uh, um, I'd um, I'd take the latter any time. All right, Willem, is that uh, is that about wrapping us up, mate? I think it wraps okay. us up. Um, it is going to be a big month in Women's World Cup Corner because we do have those final three spots to fill as well. So 10 nations still in the running uh, for entry into the group stage. Portugal, one win away. Chile, one win away. But we will uh, flesh all that out from next week. Yeah, excellent. All right, well done, Willem. Thanks again, mate. And uh, and great job uh, over the last few weeks uh, sitting in the hot seat, not only presenting the show but producing uh, and editing the show in the absence of our good mate Damien Tardio, who will be returning next week. No worries. Thank you, Rob. We've uh, we've walked the high wire with the editing. Hopefully, we'll uh, seal the deal on this one and we'll be all sweet. Back to demo. Oh, well done, Derek. Thank you, mate. Uh, good to be chatting to you again, my friend. Absolutely. Thanks, Jens. And Edge, um, you're over there. Well, I don't think we've mentioned it in the show. You're still over in Bangkok, busy on business, mate. Um, uh, you get to see a bit more local Thai football while you're in town? Uh, yeah, well, I'll go and see uh, uh, Port FC, which uh, I like to do from time to time. And um, uh, they have a very good... Uh, Pork on a stick down there, Rob. Ooh, yum. I love and when you've been in the Middle East region. for uh, as long as I have this year, <laughs> uh, the old pork on a stick is pretty good. <laughs> yeah, not a lot of pork over there, mate. Well done. Okay, boys, uh, have a good week. Uh, have a listen if you're listening out or at least look in your podcast catcher for, for stoppage time when it drops a little later on in the week. If you don't subscribe already, please subscribe uh, to box to box stoppage time and Offside. We'll be returning with Offside soon with a, f- a few guests. Uh, it's been a busy time over the World Cup. It's been a bit of a battle to try and get that extra uh, show out there, but we uh, we do owe you a few episodes of Offside. We've got some great guests coming up, so we'll start getting those out there real soon. Make sure you tweet us at box to box nts We're starting to get some good feedback uh, from our listeners, and if you've got any feedback yet, like us uh, to know about or questions you want to ask just tweet us at box to box nts and uh, make sure you follow us on twitter as well like us on facebook and leave us a nice review we love a lovely review because it certainly helps pump the the um 
the profile of the the show up uh, uh, into various relevant footballing podcast feeds. So if you could uh, be kind enough to give us a rating and a review, that'd be fantastic as well. And also don't forget to join us throughout the week as all those podcasts drop. And next week, when we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the world game.